believe it beyond anything. I, I feel it more and more. There's a big election coming up. That's not what this is about today, by the way. What am I talking about? <laughs> I'm just excited to be here. Listen, what we are talking about today, we're continuing what we spoke about last week. And this is a, a, a part of the first chapter of Ephesians that has so much that we can unpack and talk about this really for, for a great period of time. But today I really wanted to, even though last week it was about this too, I want to really focus the idea, the big idea of what we're talking about today is who we are in Jesus Christ. Who we are in Him, not what others say that we are, not what culture says that we are, but who He says that we are. It is really important. I think I think everybody struggles with this. I think some more than others. I don't think there's anybody. I'm not saying there aren't people that know it and live in it and walk in it, but you still have to, ongoing in your life, deal with the fact that you have an identity in Jesus Christ, and that's the life you need to walk in, and not anything else that those around you or the world may say. And does everybody have one of these that was handed out today, including all you guys down here? Last week we missed it. Okay, so this is a little sheet. We'll talk about it as we go. Some things that you can fill in just to help you remember. I just want to make sure everybody's got that. So last week we spoke about the, the awesome riches and incredible blessings that God's given each of us through and in Jesus Christ. And I've met many people through my life that I don't think completely understand that idea of blessings. Uh, it's not that you don't understand the meaning of the word, but the depth of it. We think about blessings sometimes, and it's like, well, that, yeah, that's what God is doing for me. He's done something for me. Or or some people say, well, have a blessed day. We do that all the time. Say that to people all the time. And I think that's a great thing to do, but it's, it's so much more than that. Or or if somebody uh, sneezes and you say, bless you, and you get another one, that's great. But, 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 but the idea of blessing is so much deeper than that. And, and some people, I'm not saying anybody in particular here or wherever, but some people, that's the extent of their understanding, is that type of thing that I just described there. But what else does it mean? Here's what blessed means to me, and I think what we can find in Ephesians chapter 1 particularly. Blessed means that you, each of you, excluding none, if you are in Christ, you are rich. You are rich because of the blessings and the riches in Jesus Christ. These things that last forever. That's a very important distinction. We talked about it a little bit last week. So last week we said blessing number one. There's seven particular blessings in this chapter I want to touch on. Last week was blessing number one that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. We were chosen to be holy and blameless. We talked about that. So, how are we going to stand before Jesus one day? How do we stand before him? Well, if we are in Christ, we were, we have the ability through what he's done, through who he is, because of what he's done and who he is, to stand before him one day, holy and blameless. So let's get to blessing number two, second of these seven that we're going to talk about. And that's this, and it's the first thing on your little handout there. God has adopted, say adopted, God has adopted me into his family. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says this, he, and this is the amplified version I'm reading here. I think we may have on the screen the NIV, but it's okay. He predestined and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children. 
Scripture speaks about this in a number of places. Romans 8.15 is another one that I love so much. I can show you some other things, but we'll just look at this one verse. Romans 8.15, this is New Living Translation, says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's how it's said again. It was said in the previous verse that way. As his own children, and now we call him. Abba, Father. I have known, and maybe many of you have too, maybe some of you are here, or I believe some are actually. Uh, I've known many people who've been adopted and have talked with them. And I will tell you that there are a lot of people in my experience that have struggled with that. Struggled with the idea that they were adopted when they found out about it. And, uh, and even if it was presented in the very best way, they began to wonder, Am I, do I have any worth? Why was I left to be adopted? Am I, uh, am I a part of this family like everybody else in this family is that I've been adopted into? Uh, am I loved? I mean, there's so many things that, that go into that. Am I really a part of this family? But in each of those cases that I've, that, that in, in my experience, ultimately these folks were able to comprehend this, and this is important. That they, as an adopted child into that family, were specifically chosen to be a part of that family. They were specifically chosen when they were adopted. You've heard sometimes people have children, sometimes say, well, that, they, that child was an accident. Not that they didn't love it and care for it or whatever, but that child was an accident. You can't do that with adoption. You are specifically choosing a child that you are adopting into your family. And so when they realized that, it became something that, 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 uh, that, that helped them process all of that. Now, here's an important thing for all of you. That is the truth about you. That's the truth about me. We were specifically chosen by God to be a part of his family. Is that awesome or what? Or is it just me that <laughs> gets that? I mean, I was, I was, he has adopted you and me. And contrary to popular belief and what the enemy wants to tell you, when you are adopted, again, because of what I just said, when you're adopted, it screams, man. It shouts, I am wanted. I'm wanted. I'm valued. Now, I want you to look at the person next to you, and you're going to do it, or I'm going to stand up here and say it again. Look at the person next to you and say, I am wanted. Okay, we're going to do it again. That's all you have to do it one more time. Now look at the person, look at somebody and say, I am wanted. See, there's something about that that we all want to be wanted. And God, when he adopts you into that, that's what he's saying. You are wanted, you are valued, you are loved. You are adopted by God. Wow. 
scripture goes on to say in verse 5 that you're adopted in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and his will. You know, it is God's will. <laughs> he wanted to do this. He wasn't compelled to do it. He wasn't required to do it. It was. It, it brought him it, it pleasure. He didn't feel like guilty because he, you know, or feel sorry for someone. Well, I, I guess I'll just, you know, adopt them. They, they, they. It was his choice. He chose to do this. He wants to do it, and he does it for one simple reason is why he wants you to be adopted into his family. Why he adopts you into his family. One reason. He loves you. He loves you. It's as simple as that. It's not any more complicated than that. And, it, and it's his pleasure, Paul writes. It's God's pleasure. Now think about that just for a minute. It's God's pleasure to adopt you. It's something that brings him great joy. It makes him happy. It pleases the heart of God to be able to adopt you into his family. It wasn't just something that he needed to do. He was happy to do it. It was a joyous thing. It brought him pleasure. So what is the reason that God adopted us? What is that? Well, you look at verse 6, and in the passage we just read a few moments ago, it says this, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's why. It also says in the Amplified Version, the praise of His glorious grace and favor. And that's mentioned. Paul writes about this in different places again and again. God has blessed us. He has made us rich in all the things that He wants to do in our lives and, and every spiritual blessing to the praise of His glorious grace. God is a glorious God. God is a giving God. And it shows this... But the fact that, listen to this, the fact that he adopted you and me, the fact that he did that, that settles it for me. It shows the true nature of God. If he adopted me as one of his own children into his family, specifically choosing me to do that, it shows the true nature of God. It proves beyond any shadow of a doubt. The only thing that proves his love for us more than that is that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. That's it. Other than that, there's nothing that proves more that he chose us and adopted us into his family. Specifically chose us to be a part of his family. I mean, I, I, as I've just sort of marinated in this, it, it really, it, the more I, I say it, the more it just, it, it becomes so powerful to me. God is a glorious God. He's a generous God. He's a giving God. He's a loving God. And, and look, I was not worthy of adoption. I was a misfit. I was the lost cause. I was an outcast. But all of that didn't matter. He adopted me anyway. He adopted me anyway in spite of all of that. So however you might feel, it shows, this shows this idea that he has adopted us. That is a huge blessing into the life of believers because it proves that he loves us. It shows us the kind of love, the depth of the love that he really has for each of us. That's big. So the blessings are, we said, God chose us to be holy and blameless. The second thing is God has adopted me into his family. And some of you right now are looking at yourself or uh, actually looking at yourself. Well, maybe some of you may. I see somebody had a mirror there a minute ago. Just kidding. But you look at yourself and you think, 
Now, this is this. I want you to hopefully try to use this to see if you can get this. Okay, I got it. So, this is the picture, my picture of who I am, because I know everything about me, and only God knows everything every thought, every temptation, every I know everything about me. This is the picture I have of me. It's the picture you would have of yourself. Now, here's a picture. Hopefully not. But most times it is. That's 
struggle. It's God's picture that's right. It's how he sees us. That's all that matters is how he sees us. That's our identity. That's who we are in Christ. So if those pictures don't match up, and most of the time they don't, you might think, you know, that, that I might have some things about my picture that I agree with, but there's some things I don't, and it's a little bit confusing. Of the two pictures, of the picture you have of yourself and the picture that God has of you, which one needs to change? Which one needs to change? It's our picture. How do we do it? How does it change? It changes by looking at His Word. The reason we call it God's Word is because God spoke His Word and it's contained in the pages of this book. It was written by people inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written as God-breathed text that wound up on these pages or on our phone apps. But guess what? It's God speaking as if He was standing there speaking to you that's his word. That's how we change. So we change by looking at word. It changes, and through his word, it changes by looking at the nature of God and who he is and how he sees us. And as that happens, the power of God's word begins to change us. See, God's word isn't just words printed on paper. It's not something that just shows up in an app. God's word is power. It's power. If you haven't recognized that, then we need to talk because the power of God's word is what changes lives. And the word is what we need to have help us change. So if you let God work, again, that's really important. If you let him work, he wants to work in your life all the time. He wants to be changing you. He wants to develop you. He wants to grow you spiritually. But you have to allow that to happen. You have to allow it to happen. We talked about that last week, free will. Okay, you have to do that, but if you allow God to do that, if you allow Him to work, allow His Word, God's Word, to soak into your life, that's the term I like. I like the idea of God's Word soaking in. Not just reading it and putting it aside. Let it soak in. Here's a better word. Let it saturate your life. As it saturates your life and it soaks in, you will have to change. It isn't optional. God's Word will change you, but you have to be the one to decide to do that. To decide that I'm going to let God's word soak in. Okay, so it'll change you, though. It'll make you look at things different. It'll begin to change that picture you have of you and make it look more like the picture that God has and how he sees you. So, blessing number one was he chose us to be holy and blameless. Blessing number two was he adopted us into his family as his own children. And now here's blessing number three. It's on your handout. You can write it in. We are redeemed and forgiven. Now, do you think that's a blessing? I do. <laughs> We're redeemed and forgiven. And those are two different things. Let's look at the text in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In Him, there it is again, in Him, in Christ, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God, great God's grace, that He lavished on us. Say lavished. We're coming back to that in a minute. With all wisdom and understanding is really the beginning of the next thing I'm going to share. So now these verses right there say that you and I have two things. Because of the blood of Jesus, and no other reason, because of the blood of Jesus, we have redemption and we have forgiveness. Now, let's take these two and they're, they're different. They're not the same. 
so the first thing, redemption. This is like, think of it as a ransom you pay. When you say ransom to somebody, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Being kidnapped, right? I mean, or something like that. I mean, that's a good thing because ransom's always associated with that. So think about if you were kidnapped, you're, you're chained up, you're in a place somewhere that nobody knows where you are, you're isolated, you can't escape, and somebody's got you under their control, and you have no control. Somebody pays a ransom, and you're freed from that. That's redemption. Somebody redeems you to deliver someone from something that they're incapable of doing on their own. So the idea of redemption, if you look at the literal translation in Young's, if you see it in other places, you'll find that the literal meaning of this word, the word redemption, is to be loosed from something. To be loosed. Well, to be loosed, you have to be tied up. You have to be bound up in something, whatever it is. Redemption is the idea, and I think, again, now, of being loosed from something. Think about a slave. If a slave was declared free, I can only imagine what the, maybe the Israelites or even the slaves in the 1800s, can you imagine if they're living in a place that you can't control, you're under somebody else's authority, they they don't take care of you, they don't treat you well, and everything else, and here you are, you are a slave to them, and somebody comes in one day and says, you are free. What would that feel like? You're loosed from all of those things that bind you. You're free. That's redeemed. That's when you're redeemed. That's the idea of it. You're being loose. Now, Jesus Christ, I want everybody, I know some of you know this, but really, Jesus Christ paid the cost for you to be set free. He paid it for you to be loosed from anything that holds you. And there's a second picture, if you look at it, about, you know, when you think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, he's, he's not only redeemed us, but the second word is forgiveness. And again, it's different. Forgiveness, if you look in the scripture and you look at how it's used in this, in the context of the scripture, it really has two distinct things. One is a religious meaning. It's a religious idea. The other is a legal idea. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. Okay, so as a religious term, it has the idea of being carried away. Forgiveness is something that carried away. That comes from the Jewish sacrificial system. I'm not going to go into all that because there's a lot of stuff to it, but the concept was this. And you can find it in Leviticus 16 and it talks about that and talks about how Aaron was walked through all of this and how it became a permanent thing of what they were doing at that time. And, and, and Moses was was, uh, was was involved in all of that and setting that all up. And anyway, through, through God's direction. But the concept was, okay, there were, there were It's not on our back anymore. The 
this is true of you. It is true of me. Because of Jesus Christ and Him alone, our sin has been carried away. It's not here anymore. It's not the only place in the Scripture that, that, that talks about it. Jesus carried away. So forgiveness as a religious term is as we discussed there. That's how it happened. And that was the idea that the sin was carried away. It's also a legal term. Forgiveness literally means to cancel a debt. Not push it into the future or have it out there hovering around somewhere. Forgiveness means canceling. Canceling the debt. Psalm 103.12. He has removed our sins as far as the as far from us as the east is from the west. Does anybody know really quick how far the east is from the west? Give me a number. How many miles? Come on. <laughs> it's infinite. There is no, the, the, the furthest point to the east and the furthest part to the west is immeasurable. It's that far away. That's how far your sins have been carried away. Wow. This is good, man. <laughs> this is good. Not because I'm saying it. That's not what I'm saying. This is just good stuff. So this is what, now listen, this is what Jesus has done for each of us. He's canceled the debt. He's canceled it. Our sin, our failures has been canceled. It's not around anymore. It's been carried away. God, hear this now, God doesn't sin anymore. You think, now when you think of who you are, you think, well, he's thinking about all this stuff. He doesn't see it anymore. East, west, canceled. This is what we're talking about here, man. It is, it is unbelievable that he could do that. Colossians 2.14, one of my favorite scriptures, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. There it is. He's carried it away. That's that term again. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is what you need to see when you think about what has Jesus done for me? He's canceled it. It's over. It's paid in full. It's gone. So you said, yeah, but you know what? I see my sins. I see all the things that I've done. You know, I, I, I see that too. I, I, I see it all the time. There's times that I get so frustrated. I'm like, God, why do I have to get tempted all the time? And somebody's writing it down. Oh, Pastor Billy gets tempted. He must not be very spiritual. In fact, the more spiritual you are, the more temptation will come your way. And that's okay because I am a victor in Jesus Christ. He gives me the ability to face that in every single circumstance. Because when he sees me, he sees the things that I don't as canceled. They're gone forever. He doesn't see it anymore. So I might see it, and that's the struggle. But Jesus doesn't see it. He doesn't see it at all. It's just gone. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is, if you can just press into that truth, man, it changes your identity. How you see yourself and what we want to do is see ourselves as God sees us. So, God sees the sin as canceled. He sees the dead as canceled. And that's the way I live my life. And listen, this is for you. That's the way I live my life. Not trying to overcome some sin I've committed in the past or live on the things that I messed up on and did and fell down. No, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live in victory because Jesus canceled it. (laughs) 
God wants to do? That's a question you need to answer and think about. So we've been talking about these blessings. I'm going to, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip over a couple of things here that I think would be important. But look, maybe today, as we're discussing this, you're just not quite sure of everything. So I want what he's talking about. I want to understand this idea of whether I have all of these blessings and all this stuff that God wants to lavish upon me. I want that. If you want that, I want to encourage you today. You can have it. You can hear someone, well, I'm not sure if I have it. Maybe some people aren't sure if I really have that yet. You can. You can be sure. You can be sure today. Let there be no doubt. Okay, so. If we could get our praise team to come as I close this last thing. So this gift, because of the cost that Jesus paid with his blood at the cross, it's a gift that was given to us. So we have a holy and blameless blessing that God chose us to be that way before him. We are adopted into God's family as his own children. We are redeemed and blessed. And the last thing I just want to share today is this. God has shown us the mystery of his will. And that is right there. You just fill it in the mystery. And all throughout the Old Testament, people struggled to connect with God. They, to have a, a, what would be a, to figure out how they could deepen and strengthen their relationship with God. How they could, how they could hear with Him. To really know that God in their life was something real. There was a struggle there. And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us the answer to this in verse 9 and 10. It says this. In the previous verse, at the end of that, it says, With all wisdom and knowledge, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when he, when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity, say unity, unity, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What? This mystery we're talking about. What does it mean? What is the mystery that we're talking about? Mystery in the scripture is not like a mystery story or something you would read. That's not what it is. The idea of this mystery is a secret. It's like a secret that has now been revealed. It's been revealed to us. It was revealed to the Apostle Paul. And the secret here is, it's the secret of God's will. What is God's will for our life? We spend a lot of time learning to be, I want to be in God's will and seeking God's will. What is God's will for my life? Let me tell you what it is. It's not, it, it, when you think about it, the mystery that was revealed is this. You want to know God's will? If you want to know what the mystery of God's will is, here's what it is. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right there in verses 9 and 10. What he's talking about, what Paul's talking about there, is the most significant event in all of human history. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for us at the cross. The blood that was shed for us to be able to live the cancellation of our debt and our sin. Everything being wiped away clean. Taking it from the east is from the west. That's how he sees us. It was the most significant event, and that's why it is the mystery of God's will revealed. It seems like it's simple, but that's what it was. It was not only the most significant event, it was the most unifying event. And we need unity in our world today. This is where it's found. Unity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is at the center of it. And let me tell you, when you see that, when you see it clearly, that Jesus is at the center of it all, it solves everything. It solves every question in your mind. If you really see it, it solves everything. It answers every question. It takes all the confusion and all the uncertainty away if you see him as the center. And let me tell you, whether we want it to be that way or not, or whether we understand it or not, Jesus is at the center. He's at the center of it all because Jesus is at the center of history. Time was divided by him, A.D. and B.C. He's at the center of all of history, and Jesus will be at the center of all eternity. He's in the center of where it is now. He's in the center of where it will always be. And because, now listen to this, this is the last thing, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Because he is at the center of history, and because he is at the center of all eternity, my identity, your identity in Christ, it only makes sense when he's the center of your life. That's the only time it's going to make any sense. Because he's the center of everything else. So if we want to figure it all out, and if we want to get everything together and try to figure out how to live in this world victorious and how to do all the things and overcome all of the sin in our life, overcome the temptation, break bondages of addiction, whatever it might be, he's at the center of it. And his identity, how he sees you, is how you need to see yourself. And the way you need to do that is put him at the center. It's the only way it works, folks. Everything else, it'll fail. It'll collapse. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me today as we close. And I'm going to just say this. Look, if there's anyone here that is uncertain about their eternal destination, when you leave this world today, 